of Death and Defilement by Rav Chanoch Waxman. Immediately after the deaths of Nadav and Avihu, Moshe received an important communication from God regarding the appropriate conditions for entering the holiest part of the Mishkan. And the Lord spoke to Moshe after the death of the two sons of Aharon, who died when they drew too close to the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moshe, Tell Aharon your brother that he should not come at will into the holy place within the curtain in front of the covering upon the ark, lest he die, for I appear in the cloud over the cover. Thus only shall he enter the holy place. The passage is, of course, the opening of Parashat Acharemot. Strangely enough, the Torah does not place this passage into textual sequence with the death of Nadav and Abihu. Despite the apparent chronological sequence implied by the subject matter, the issue of entering into holy space and the possibility of death, the Torah only presents the Parashah of Achremot a full five chapters after the death of Nadav and Avihu. Despite the near synchronicity with the death of Nadav and Avihu implied by the term after, the Torah chooses to delay the Parashah of Achremot, literally after the death, until after the corpus of chapters 11 through 15. This intervening bulk, primarily consisting of the Parashiot of Tazria and Mitzara and the laws of Tzara'at, can be categorized as the laws of Tum'ah and Tahara. All of its component parts relate to the concepts of clean and unclean, or perhaps more accurately, pristine and defiled. A quick sketch of the structure of this intervening segment should demonstrate the point. The overall segment breaks down as follows. Section 1, Permissible and Forbidden Animals. Section 2, The Laws of Postpartum Women. Section 3, Tzara'at of the body and tzara'at upon garments. Section 4, purification from tzara'at and the post-tzara'at procedure. Section 5, tzara'at of the house or of the home. And section 6, the laws of male and female discharges and menstruation. If this is the case, we face an obvious problem. Why does the Torah choose to interrupt the natural flow of the narrative from the death of Nadav and Avihu to the laws for Aharon's entrance into the holy area with the laws of Tuman Tahara? Alternatively, we may prefer a reverse formulation of the problem, one that focuses more on the central topic of the code of Tuman Tahara, the strange phenomenon of Tzara'at. In other words, why does the Torah place the laws of Tzara'at and the overall code in close juxtaposition to the death of Nadav and Avihu? Quite possibly we may have already done much of the conceptual work necessary to answer these questions. The answer may well lie in connecting the two concepts, Tumah and Tahara, and entrance into a holy place, discussed until this point. In describing the purification period of the postpartum women, the Torah states the following, She shall remain in a state of purification from her blood for thirty-three days. She shall not touch any consecrated thing, nor enter the sanctuary, until her period of purification is completed. Given that she is Tameh, and has not yet re-entered the pristine, pure, and holy state of Tahara, the postpartum woman is banned from contact with sanctified objects and sanctified space. Or to phrase this a little bit differently, the sanctified personal state of Tahara constitutes a necessary condition for contact with the holy. This mutual exclusivity of holiness and Tum'ah is also present as a theme in the other segments of the overall section outlined above. The sufferer of Tzara'at lesions is banned from the camp, whose center consists of the abode of God. This is not only alluded to by the text of Vayikra, but stated explicitly in Mimibar, during the arrangement of the camp. 
And the Lord spoke to Moshe, saying, Instruct the Israelites to remove from the camp anyone with tzara'at lesions. Put them outside the camp, so that they do not defile the camp of those in whose midst I dwell. Likewise, in summing up the laws of discharges, section 6 of the overall code of Tum'ah and Tahara, the Torah reiterates the tension between a state of Tum'ah and the sanctuary, and mandates the death penalty for the improper mixing of the two. And you shall warn the children of Israel regarding uncleanness, lest they die through their uncleanness by defiling my Mishkan, which is among them. Moreover, the verse of Mamidbar partially quoted above also mandates the expulsion of the Zav and the Zava, those suffering from emissions, from the camp. Finally, this connection, or perhaps need to disconnect, between Tum'ah and sanctity can be located not just in sections 2 through 6 of the Code, but even in section 1, the laws of permitted and forbidden animals. In closing out the segment, God informs Israel that he has high expectations. For I, the Lord, am your God. You shall sanctify yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not make yourselves unclean through eating any swarming thing, for I am the Lord. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Sacredness does not end at the borders of the sanctuary, nor even at the borders of the camp. The category of the holy extends to the very person of each and every individual member of Israel. As members of the holy nation, another type of mobile sanctuary, another method of encapsulating the Lord's presence in the world, the Israelites are enjoined from improper mixing of the sacred and profane, of contacting or ingesting certain kinds of animals. To put this all together, the common denominator of chapters 11 through 15, the laws of Tum'a and Tahara, consists not just of the categories of Tum'a and Tahara, but also the need to separate between the Tameh and the Holy. Whether in the context of the sanctuary itself, the camp within which it resides, or the people within whose camp God resides, holiness demands special care and particular conditions for encountering and preserving it. This brings us back to the sin and death of Nadav and Abihu. They died because of lack of care for the details of Hilchot Kodashim, the laws for the proper treatment of sanctity and approach to sanctified space. They entered the sanctuary and God's space when not commanded. It is no wonder, then, that in between the story of their death and the story of the proper conditions for entering the holiest space, the Torah teaches the full corpus of Hilchot Kodashim, the laws of sanctity and relation to holiness. Alternatively, we may wish to link the laws of Tumah and Tahara to the death of Nadav and Abihu in a slightly different, albeit related, fashion. At the close of the laws of permitted and forbidden animals, section 1 above, the Torah teaches the following. This is the Torah of the beasts and of the birds, and of every living creature, to distinguish between the unclean and clean, between the living things that may be eaten and the living things that may not be eaten. The phrase to distinguish between the unclean and clean should bring to mind the immediate aftermath of the deaths of Nadam Nabihu. As mentioned, the Torah follows the story of the deaths with a code of priestly conduct. The latter part of the code consists of two imperatives, and you must distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. And you must teach the children of Israel all the laws which the Lord has imparted to them through Moshe. While these two imperatives are linguistically and conceptually distinct, they are nevertheless practically intertwined. The priests carry a special responsibility both for differentiating between the sacred and non-sacred, between the Tameh and the Tahor, and for the teaching of those laws to the children of Israel. However, the obligation to teach and enforce the laws stems from more than just their general Torah teaching role. The custodians of the sanctuary and the laws of differentiation cannot guarantee the integrity of the sanctuary and the sanctified status of the sanctuary, camp, and people, unless the laws of sanctity are observed by all. 
All of this should explain the juxtaposing of at least section one of the larger laws of Tumad Zahra with the death of Nadav and Abihu. The death serves as the occasion for defining the role of the priests. This definition is followed by the actual laws of differentiation entrusted to the priests, and for which they bear special responsibility. In fact, this theme easily can be expanded to cover the remaining segments of the laws of Tumad Zahra. Like section one, section three, the corpus of the laws of Tzarat, ends with an echo of the priest's code of chapter 10. After a summary of the various types of tzara'at, the Torah states the following, to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the Torah of tzara'at. While this verse may refer to the Torah's purpose in expounding upon the laws of tzara'at at length, it most probably refers to the role of the priests in making the determination as to whether a particular lesion is clean or unclean. After all, the Torah elaborates upon this role extensively throughout the 116 verses of the Laws of Tzara'at. Moreover, the linguistic parallel to the terms teaching, unclean, and clean found in the Code of Priestly Conduct, and the apparent fusing of the concepts into a montage of teaching, ruling and governing the arena of Tumad Tahara, further strengthens the connections outlined above. If so, like section 1, Section 3 provides a corpus of differentiation laws that the priests are charged with guarding and teaching. In a similar vein, it is Aharon the priest, along with Moshe, who is charged with warning the children of Israel regarding their uncleanness and the possibility of death in Section 6, the laws of emissions. Finally, regarding Section 1, the laws of the postpartum woman, it is the priest who plays the key role in restoring her state of tahara, guides her in her passage from Tameh to Tahor, and facilitates her approach to the sanctuary. In sum, the placement of the laws of Tumah and Tahara in the middle of the narrative of Nadav and Abihu's death stems from more than just the concern of both these parts of the Torah with Hilchot Kodshim, the rules for the treatment of sanctity. The juxtaposition also stems from the definition of the role of priests in the aftermath of the death of Nadav and Abihu. It stems from the overarching concern of both segments with the role of the priests, their job description and their special responsibility for the laws of differentiation. While the dual theory outlined above more than handles the problem of the structure of the middle part of Sefer Vayikra, I would nevertheless like to try to elaborate on some additional literary and philosophical connections between the laws of Tumah and Tahara and the deaths of Nadav and Abihu. Let us begin by taking a look at the treatment given to one who manifests Tzara'at upon his body. And the leprous man whom the lesion is upon, his clothes shall be rent, his head shall be left bare, and he shall cover his upper lip, and shall cry, unclean, unclean. The four actions required of the Mitzorah, the sufferer of Tzara'at, can all be thought of as connected to disgrace and shame. The rending of the garments and bearing of his head constitutes symbols of dishevelment and disgrace, similar to the bearing of the head of a woman suspected of adultery. Similarly, the covering of the upper lip, probably done by the garment worn upon the upper body, involves the covering of the Mitzorah's mouth and his silencing. Having been visited by an affliction from God, the Mitzorah stands speechless in front of divine retribution. He possesses no explanation and no rationale for his behavior and affliction. He is like the false prophets of Micha, who shall be put to shame and cover their lips. Having been afflicted by a divine plague, the Mitzorah can do no more than proclaim his own disgrace and utter, unclean, unclean. However, some of these actions symbolize not just shame, disgrace, and self-negation, but also the related phenomenon of mourning. This brings us back to the deaths of Nadav and Abihu. Right after the deaths, Moshe tells Zaharon, Elazar, and Itamar, 
Do not bare your heads and do not rend your clothes, lest you die. But your brothers, all the house of Israel, shall bewail the burning that God has wrought. Aaron and his sons are forbidden from mourning. They cannot express their pain and anguish, nor demonstrate physically the impossibility of continuing normal existence, as if nothing had occurred. Consequently, they cannot bare their heads nor rend their clothes. If so, the acts of the Mitzvah resemble acts of mourning. They resemble the response of one visited by death. In fact, Tzara'at itself is connected with death numerous times throughout the Torah. The term nega, translated as lesion above, constitutes the Torah's standard term for Tzara'at affliction and appears innumerable times throughout the laws of Tzara'at. Interestingly enough, the term literally means touch and is used in the context of Bereshit and Shemot to connote a plague from God, the concrete manifestation of the metaphorical finger or hand of God. Shemot uses the phrase Od nega echad, one more touch or plague, to herald the plague of the firstborn, the visitation of death upon the Egyptians. In other words, visitation by a nega, the touch or hand of God, logically results in death. This connection between nega tsarat and death is further strengthened by both the story of tsarat found in Sefer Bamidbar and the phenomenology of tsarat. Upon speaking ill of Moshe and being chastised by God, Miriam is stricken with tsarat. At this point, Aaron, who had been party to the slander, beseeches Moshe not to hold a grudge against them and to pray for Miriam's welfare. And Aaron said to Moshe, Please, my master, account not to us the sin which we committed in our folly. Let her not be as one dead, who emerges from his mother's womb with half his flesh eaten away. Apparently, Tzarat symbolizes death. The appearance of Tzarat resembles the appearance of a grisly miscarriage or stillborn baby. The death of the flesh in Sarat comprises a harbinger and portent of the ultimate punishment soon to be visited upon the sinner. No wonder the Mitzvah responds to its Sarat as one responds to death. In a last-ditch effort to stave off his fate, he proactively mourns his soul in his impending doom. This connection between death and Sarat should help shed some light on the topics contained within the latter parts of the laws of Tuman Tahara, the subject matter of Parashat Tazriah and Parashat Mitzvah. As has often been pointed out, Death defiles. The corpse constitutes the father of all tumot. Similarly, the shadow of death, the affliction of tsarat, defiles. But the mitzarah is not the only one in these sections of the Torah who has encountered death and had its shadow cast upon him. The people mentioned at the end of Parashat Mitzarah, those suffering from emissions, have also encountered the shadow of death. The menstruating woman faces the loss of potential life implicit in her bleeding, and Zav and Zava, the loss of life implicit in their diseases and consequent inability to procreate. Similarly, the postpartum woman mentioned at the beginning of Parashat Tazriah has passed through the harrowing and life-threatening experience of childbirth. Within her experience of birthing life, she has encountered the shadow of death. If so, the topics of Tazriah and Mitzorah are united by their connection to death and the consequence of defilement. But this is not all that unites the postpartum woman, the mitzvah, and the sufferer from emissions. In general, the text focuses not on just the cause of defilement, but also on the process of return, the means of restoring a state of tahara. Each prasha depicts the process of passing through, not so much the encounter with death, but the return from its touch, the approach to the sanctuary, and the bringing of offerings. Putting this all together and linking up with the story of the deaths of Nadav and Abihu yields something rather interesting. The dynamic implicit in the legal material of Tazriah and Mitzvah parallels the dynamic implicit in the narrative frame of the text, 
the story of the death of Nadav and Abihu. From the perspective of narrative, the text is about Aharon, a father who at his very moment of triumph has suffered a devastating loss. In his own words, such things have befallen me. Due to his sacred status, he is even forbidden from explicit mourning. Yet somehow he must pass through. He must continue through death, return to the sanctuary, and perform the divine service. Likewise, and in keeping with the implicit theme, the legal material is about passing through death and approaching the sanctuary. But this is not all. In a striking parallel to the story of Nadav and Abihu, a story of the eighth day, each of these passing through or purification passages contains a reference to a period of seven days and a climactic eighth day. The postpartum woman who bears a male is Tameh for seven days. On the eighth day, her son is circumcised. After a seven-day waiting period outside his own tent upon his return to the camp, the Mitzarah brings his climactic offering, approaches the sanctuary, and achieves Tahara on the eighth day. Likewise, the Zav and the Zavah count seven days, and only then, on the eighth, bring their offerings, approach the sanctuary, and re-enter a pristine and undefiled state. Is the eighth day some sort of magic number in Sefer Vayikra? Maybe. But perhaps there is something more here. The eighth day of the Miluim ceremony was intended to be the day of God's descent to the Mishkan, the day when the very source of all being, of life itself, came and dwelt amongst the people. The death of Nadav and Abihu on the eighth day not only constituted a tragedy in its own right, but a staining of the essence of the eighth day, an undercutting of the status of the Mishkan and God's presence. The day of God's arrival and his very presence are now associated with death and mourning in the consciousness of Israel. Upon the death of Korach and his cohorts, the children of Israel gave vent to this exact sentiment. And the children of Israel said to Moshe, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Everyone who so much ventures near the Lord's Mishkan dies. Alas, we are doomed to perish. If so, we may formulate yet one more reason for the juxtaposing of Tazriah and Mitzorah with the story of the death of Nadav and Abihu. The passing through stories of the postpartum woman, the Mitzorah, the Zav and the Zavah serve as a counterweight to the death of Nadav and Abihu. The dynamic of passing through death and returning upon the eighth day to the sanctuary and God's presence, to full and pure life, reverses the linkage between the eighth day and death in the story of Nadav and Abihu. The legal material reminds the children of Israel of the ideal relation between God's presence in the sanctuary and the categories of life and death. Rather than holiness causing death, death causes distance from the presence of God. The transcendence of death and affirming of life find its concrete expression in approaching the sanctuary and entering into God's presence. May it be the will of the Almighty that we merit to pass through the shadow of death that hovers over us these days and return to full and holy life in the presence of God.